0: I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Today, we have a company coming back with a different CEO, Ella's Kitchen. Joining us is Mark Kittigan, and he has been at Ella's for over 10 years, taking over the reins when the company sold to Haynes Celestial in 2013. Ella's is an amazing baby food company started by Paul Lindley, and we interviewed Paul, a passionate social entrepreneur, um, at the earliest days of Purpose 360, and we're going to put a link to that podcast um, in the show notes here. We were very curious about what's happened to Ella's over the time, what's happened in the past three years now that Mark is truly, his leadership has kicked in a lot. And also what's happened to the company during the pandemic? Um, what's happened to their their purpose at the center of commitment to truly helping babies and uh, toddlers have a better relationship with food from their earliest years, from when they start eating solid food, or in the UK, they call it weaning. And we're going to hear um, how Mark has put his handprint on the company and allowed it to continue to flourish in a way that I know Paul Lindley would be proud, in a way that the company has continued to grow massively, but it's grown in a dual commitment, a new direction, um, truly, that's a passion of Mark's is the B Corp movement. They're a B Corp that was established under Paul Lindley, but truly it's not just about the company and how it's run, but it's also how Mark will talk about that the B Corp movement is an absolute necessity and that business must drive solutions to planet, people, and our environment and society. And he feels truly that good business must lead. And he's going to talk about the advocacy that the company is doing with the British parliament and government to try and help pass. There's an act that is being pushed forward, and it's called the Better Business Act, that truly would create legislation that would require UK companies to not only Stand for shareholders, but also for stakeholders, very much following in the stakeholder-based capitalism movement in the United States. And so that's part of our conversation. But he's also going to talk about the continuation of the incredibly fun ways that Ellis gets involved with parents via their, they've got a great new campaign called Eat Play Love. And how kids really at an early age, if they touch their foods, especially vegetables in their raw state and they play with them and then they start it's, they give permission to just do all sorts of fun things, that they'll have a better relationship with vegetables, especially as they grow up. And that's critically important because over 30% of UK children, by the time they're getting older, they are obese or overweight, and that is something that's going to have a huge impact on their future life, on society, um, on government programs, etc. So the company is truly still committed to helping children have a better relationship with food. There's another part of this conversation that is so great, and it's about Mark's management style, and he learned it from a book called Turn the Ship Around. It is about allowing your team leads. So the head of marketing is accountable for the plan and the results and so on and so on. The people managers, the supply chain managers, um, the sales folks, they create the plans. They're responsible for them. And this autonomy that Mark manages to creates exceptional results in the company. So this is a great conversation. I'm thrilled that three years later, we're back talking about Ella's Kitchen. It's uh, just an intriguing conversation and one that is also helpful for for our listeners who may be contemplating a sale to another company because so they can scale and grow, and how you can maintain and keep your purpose at the center, your ethos, and work with your parent company in harmony. So let's get into our conversation with Mark. First, I just want to welcome you to the show, Mark.
1: Oh, hi. Well, thank you very much for having me, Carol. It's a pleasure
0: to be here. And tell me where you're, you're sitting. I know you're in your home, but tell me where you are today.
1: I'm at the top floor of our house in uh, Shepherd's Bush in West London in the UK. Um, I've got my puppy behind me, so hopefully she's going to be quiet throughout the, uh, throughout the podcast. So fingers crossed.
0: And if you could see this puppy, it's a beautiful. Is she a giant, what is she? Her name's Dandelion.
1: She, her name's Dandelion, named by my youngest daughter, who's 10. Um, she is a golden doodle. She's an and yes. she And I have to be honest, she has changed our lives. Absolutely amazing.
0: Okay, so maybe at the end of this conversation, you're going to talk about some new dog food in addition to, to Ella's. And so, again, welcome to the show. Um, Very early on into the podcast, in January 2019... I had the wonderful opportunity to interview Paul Lindley and Paul was the founder of Ella's and we had a wonderful conversation. We're going to link it into um, our show notes, but Mark has been um, CEO for a number of years, but he also is at the company since 2011. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation about how Paul Lindley, the founder influenced um, Mark, how the purpose of Ella's, which we will dive into in a minute, continues to this day, but it has now Mark's hand on it. And also, um, Mark, let's just talk a little bit about who is Ella's Kitchen? Because some of our listeners may not have children or young ones. And so let's just explain a little bit about the company and then about your background.
1: Yeah, sure. So Ella's Kitchen, as you said, was founded by Paul actually 16 years ago. Um, and was named after Paul's eldest daughter, Ella. Um, and he started the company after he had struggled to get Ella to eat solid foods when she was a baby, and he found that by using sight and sound and, well, all of the senses, he was able to get Ella to start eating. And that really was the sort of the start of the idea um, of forming Ella's Kitchen for Paul because Paul believed, and we all believe now, that all of us, including babies, with all of our senses, and it's still the driving force for us today at Ella's Kitchen. So, we were, we were also founded with a purpose that is related to children's health and nutrition. So, the point of the company is not simply to make money, um, and that has been our kind of people call it their North Star, and it has remained you know, ever since that sort of 16 years ago when Paul started the company. We're now the number one baby food company in the UK. And we also distribute to over 30 markets around the world.
0: Your parent company is Haynes Celestial Group in the United States. And interestingly, Paul sold the company in 2013. You know, in our previous conversation, he he really wanted to grow. And to really be a force in the U.S., he felt that he needed the backing. And so we'll we'll get into that in a minute because it it looks from the um, evolution of the company that uh, you didn't miss a beat that um, Haynes certainly allowed you to be quirky and funny and to grow. And so um, let's just talk a little bit about, you've got some kids. And so how did having children, especially as you were growing up through the company, um, how did that impact uh, your knowledge and your um, management philosophy?
1: Well, so yeah, so you're right. So I've been at the company 10 and a half years and I've been CEO for, ever since Hain bought the company. So that's like nine years ago. And so having I, I don't you sort of I, I naturally gravitated, I think, towards the baby food industry because I had a baby at the time and, and we had another one on the way. So it just felt like a natural place for me to go. I've been in consumer goods all of my life since leaving university at, at twenty two. So it just kind of felt like home to, to to go to a baby food company. And I met Paul and I spoke to him and, and having worked in business all my life, it's um going to Erlers Kitchen has literally changed my life. It has changed my whole philosophy around what business I would argue should be doing, you know, the very purpose of business. Um and Paul kind of opened my eyes to all of this and it, it's transformed me and it's just been the best thing I've ever done.
0: Well, that's very clear and and, and we're thrilled that you're continuing to evolve this company with its very special ethos. And so I want to just step back a bit because your food focuses a lot on weaning. And so for those of our our millennials who haven't had children or such or others, um, can you explain what weaning is and why, um, and how you approach that with your food, with your advertising?
1: So it has a different name in the U.S. to the U.K. So when you start when babies start their journey of eating food for the first time in the UK that that journey's called the weaning journey in the US it's called starting solid foods <laughs> okay. they're the same thing they're just called something slightly different
0: i think it sounds better um, in the uk <laughs> <doesn't>
1: yeah it? <laughs> well, it sounds a little bit more like a sort of journey doesn't it the, yes, the it weaning is. journey right. um, but but those are the two two differences it's just the uh, you know it's just a name
0: i suppose You really have a big concentration on vegetables. And you see that, for example, Gerber or, you know, in our country, you know, they might have a broader category. So you really focus not only on the quality and the texture and the taste, but also on the communications and having an entire ecosystem approach to helping parents understand the weaning journey.
1: Yes. I mean, what we really focus on, if if I'm being honest, Carol, is our mission. So our mission at Ellers is to improve children's lives through developing healthy relationships with food. And you mentioned vegetables. So let's take vegetables because it's a really good example. So a number of years ago, we commissioned a huge piece of research with the British Nutrition Foundation, which is an independent body, to look at all weaning, solid foods, (laughs) if you're in the US, studies that have been done all over the world. Um, And we were able to prove, and this might sound a really obvious thing, but it had never been proved before. A really, really simple thing that when you start giving your baby food for the first time. So when you start solid food for the very first time, if you start with vegetables right at the beginning, both in frequency and, and variety, it has, it will have a material impact on that child's vegetable intake when they're one year old, two year old, three year old, four year old and five. I, they will eat more vegetables. It's a proven fact from the studies that we looked at, which is amazing. But at the time in the UK, at that time, the UK government, through the various different bodies in the UK, were recommending to parents, when you start giving your child, your baby, solid foods, mash down a bit of fruit. And we were saying, well, no, you should mash down a bit of vegetables. And we had this whole campaign. Um, around changing the guidelines from the UK government. We marched on the Houses of Parliament with children. We delivered a massive greener paper um, to the Department of Health. We engaged our retailers. We launched new products. We dropped the price of those products, not, not as a promotion, forever. Because we, we understood that we needed to nudge consumers, our parents, towards buying it. So we did it so much so that we lost money in all of the vegetable skews that we were selling. But we did it because we have this mission and we've proven something and we wanted to get behind it. And after a few years, we were successful in getting the UK government to change the guidelines. And it may sound like a simple thing, but these things, they really, really matter, especially at the moment when we're looking at the obesity rates in the UK, which tragically have jumped like they've never jumped before throughout COVID. Nobody really understands why, but we're at a stage now in the UK where nearly 30% of all children entering reception age, so that is four years old turning to five years old, 30% are obese or overweight. Mm. In the UK, all government intervention policies around obesity start at five years old. And our, mm. our viewpoint of this is it's too old. We think that's maybe a little bit too late.
0: Right. And, and it's wonderful that the company has always taken an ecosystem approach to its products. That it's not that you're just selling products, as you just discussed. It's about the essence of the products and how can you contribute to the knowledge of parents, to the regulation of government, to, you know, health recommendations that truly there is a, more, a healthier way for children to have a greater relationship with the foods they eat that will then have an impact. I love when Paul said, you know, if we don't, Change the system. We're going to have this giant obesity problem, which is going to be a health problem, which is going to impact people's lives and jobs and, and success in life. And, and it's just, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's fantastic that you have this approach again, the ecosystem approach advocacy. So can you tell a story? I'm sure you've got many where you hear from parents that you that are saying you know thanking you for taking this approach and really understanding that Ella's is more than just a product
1: there are two only two reactions I have when I tell somebody I work at Ella's Kitchen and it happened to me the other day when I was in the back of a London cab it's either I haven't heard, heard of you know what do you do I've never heard of Ella's Kitchen and that's when people haven't had kids or it's Oh my God, you work at Ellis Kitchen. And people <laughs> genuinely come like this. Cabby stopped the cab and went, Oh, that's amazing. Can I take a picture? I know I'm no one famous. <laughs> Why? That's just weird. I'm Why do you a want to picture. take a, a, a picture of me? But I think the stories, we know the stories are out there. And, and we're talking before about you know, the ecosystem and stuff. And I think it actually goes more to the core of what the very purpose of the business is. So when the pandemic hit, Well, you know, we did two things actually, which I was just super, super proud of. The first thing we did is before furlough was even a word that we understood, you know, we've got everybody on the phone. And and bear in mind, over half of the people that work at Ellis Kitchen are parents. I got everyone on the phone at Ellis and said, no matter how much work you are able to do for the duration of the pandemic, you will get paid in full. I expect if you have children or dependents at home, the absolute priority is them. If you can do no work whatsoever, that's absolutely fine. They are the priority. All I ask is you let your manager know so we can reassess what things that we don't need to do, you know, we're we gonna have to drop, basically. And the second thing we did, you know, you talked about the stories, is we quickly realized because in the UK there was massive, massive panic buying in shops. The shops were stripped bare of all products, including ours. And we quickly realized that the um, The charities that rely on the food banks that rely on donations from companies like us didn't have any products. So we prioritized them over everything else. We gave away a million pouches to the most vulnerable children in society. So there are stories out there, but I know they're out there because we're doing the right thing.
0: That's fantastic. You you got ahead of me on the... um the pandemic response. But those are two very, very distinctive responses. And and so thank you very much. So you became CEO when Hain Celestial acquired the company. Um, we just did a, a, an interesting conversation with Ben and & Jerry's and with uh, Chris Miller, who's their head of activism. And he just basically said when they sold to Unilever, that they actually wrote a covenant into the sales document. And, and I'm just curious to protect Ben & Jerry's because they're so unique in their own way as well. Very, very, very purpose-driven, mission-driven and such. Did you have any sort of ways to protect this incredible brand with with Hain? Just curious to give that guidance and insight to any other um, purpose-driven entrepreneur here who may be thinking of selling, but they want to keep the purpose going.
1: What a great idea to put in the sale document. We didn't have anything like that. So, if I'm honest, it was the source of my greatest concern, and something that I was quite anxious and probably at the time got quite stressed about because Anna's kitchen is 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 just so important to me. It's just more than a passion in my life. It's you know it's one of the loves of my life, and I thought, what's going to happen? What is going to happen to all the work that we do with regards to our mission? that really doesn't pay back from a commercial point of view at all. What's gonna happen to the values-based culture that we built up at Ella's Kitchen? What's gonna happen with regards to all the good work we do from a sustainability point of view? And it was my biggest source of stress, if I'm honest. And the thing that I had been, one of the things I've been most proud of since I've been at Ella's is the fact that the reverse has happened. So we have influenced and impacted and changed them more, much more than they have us. So we lead them with regards to sustainability. We've led the group with regards to B Corp certification. So I would say, you know, if you have a great company, you should be looking to inspire and change the mothership. The other, the other way in which, if I'm being brutally honest, that that we've managed to, to get like real autonomy, um, is our results have been fantastic. And you know, the reason why the results have been fantastic is because we've got a great team, we have you know, autonomy, we'll, we can talk about that in a second, that runs throughout the team, we want values, all those other, there are lots of reasons why we've been successful. But that success breeds the autonomy from Hain from Celestial because they're thinking, well, we need to leave you alone, which is brilliant.
0: Well, and it's smart on their part. So you, I saw that you also had, you had two hats that you're wearing when you, you also have a sustainability hat. And I would love to um, hear how that's working, um, both for Ella's, as well as how, as you said, you're influencing the parent. Um, So uh, do tell.
1: We work really, really hard to be open, honest, transparent about the journey that we're on. And I kind of liken it to the circle that goes around. The more successful we are commercially, the more money we make, the more product that we sell, the more good we can do. And another thing that I've been most proud of since since Paul left the company, and you know, I think you would agree with this, is we are doing more good than we've ever done before. So we're stronger when it comes with regards to our mission. We're stronger when it comes to sustainability. And that is something, this continuous improvement is something that I'm absolutely focused and passionate about. We just, we can never do enough. So we're always pushing ourselves to do as much as we can.
0: So you, you can see how it really drives you when you get up in the morning. I have to do more. I have to grow. Let's talk about two of the areas that you really love. And let's talk about B Corp certification. And just to let you know that I, when I was at Edelman, I had the wonderful opportunity um, for Andrew um, and his partner at, at B Lab um, to inter- to uh, publicize when they were approved in Delaware, in the United States, because when you when your certification is approved in Delaware, that's it. Then you become truly a standard and lovely, lovely men. And of course, I followed the B Corp movement um, for a very long time. You are very, very committed to it um, and to its growth. So can you talk about why it's important? By the way, I had Chris Marquis, um, who's an old friend from Harvard on the show, um, pre, you know, recently, not recently, probably last year, um, talking about his book. About the B Corp movement, so um, and I know that that you know him well. So why is it so important that this should continue to grow? And um, how has it evolved since you became a B Corp at Ellis?
1: So why is the B Corporation movement important? I would say it's absolutely essential. So if you look at the social and environmental issues That we have right now and we have coming towards us. If we, if business isn't part of the solution, and I would argue if business isn't driving the solution, we have absolutely no chance of achieving it. So at the moment, you know, we in the UK, we have Boris Johnson as our prime minister and a lot of people look to the government to solve. Let's take the the climate issue. Which is obviously a worldwide issue. A lot of people are looking to government to solve these issues. And, uh, you know, I always argue when you're talking about government, who do you mean? Do you mean Boris Johnston? Do you mean the Conservative Party? Do you mean all MPs? You know, the House of Westminster, the House of Lords? Who are these magical, mystical people that are going to solve all of these problems? Because I promise you, when they say we need to be net zero by 2050, who do they mean by we? Primarily, it's businesses. I mean, there's a lovely quote from Barack Obama that we are the first generation of leaders that won't be able to look back and say, we didn't know. Gone is the day that CEOs of companies and directors of companies will be able to look their children in the eye and say, well, we, did, you know, we didn't know. No, we all know. I don't, we don't need to be told by the government what we need to do. We need to run our businesses in a different way. And if we prioritise profits over everything else, we have no chance of social justice, we have no chance of economic justice, and we have no chance when it comes to the climate crisis. So the good businesses need to stand up now and lead other companies with them. And I've never come across anything, um, I'm sure there will be in the future, which is fantastic, like the B Corporation movement where the certification allows you to stand up and lead other companies to follow your lead. And I know I'm sounding a bit worthy and if my wife was here, she'd be rolling her eyes and going oh, <laughs> God, it's on again. Um, but I genuinely believe that I believe that you know, we can't wait around and the B corporation movement, it has one aim. It's just one aim. It is how, how can we change how we measure success in business? Because right now as a, you know, I work for a division of a PLC, a NASDAQ listed company. I have my fiduciary duty, believe it or not, Carol, I got one aim. It's really nice and simple. Maximize shareholder return. Now, when you say that out loud to people, yeah, but you know, you don't really do that. No, I don't do that, but that actually is what I should be doing is maximize shareholder return above everything else. It's not fit for purpose. And. We need business leaders to stand up and, uh, and make the change. It's as simple as that for me.
0: When you say maximize shareholder return, because we, you and I both know about the shift to stakeholders, do I'm assuming that you believe that to maximize shareholder return, you need to maximize return to all stakeholders. And when you do that, then the profits will follow. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean. It's one of the frustrating things. If you run your company for all stakeholders, I would argue that, however you measure the success of that company, you will be
0: more successful. Um, I'm curious. Do, do you are you familiar with Interface, which is a which is a carpet, a B two B carpet company?
1: Yeah, we we have that we have their tiles in the uh, in the barns where we work.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, um, I I, I uh, had the wonderful opportunity to interview them. Unfortunately, I didn't. You know, Ray Anderson passed away many years ago, but Um, often in my speeches, I just talk about his vision about finding another way and how that company just took off with, you know, making carpet tiles. I mean, it it seems like something that is so mundane, but it truly changed not only them, it changed the industry. It changed, you know, know, how to look at net zero, then net positive. Um, again, I'll, I'll just say to my listeners, it's a great, great conversation. So, um, as this one is too. Let's continue with the advocacy because I would love you to talk about the Better Business Act because you've been taking a what one, what is that, and then what are the actions that you're taking? Because again, you're trying to create an ecosystem to get others engaged in the same philosophies that you have.
1: Yes, so the, the, the Better Business Act is is a we're trying to change UK law, not just for. A few companies or certain companies or certain industries. We're trying to change a section. It's actually called section 172 of the Companies Act. We're trying to change it for every single company in the United Kingdom. And at the moment, put simply, that section uh, describes, um, the very purpose of businesses in the UK. And at the moment, it is to maximize shareholder return. And we want to put an addendum and change it and change that to all stakeholders. So CEOs and directors of all companies will have a duty when making major decisions to take all stakeholders into account. And it is a, it would be huge. It would be the UK leading in this sphere and it would be a cultural change that would happen. But it's very interesting, we've spoken to a lot of CEOs in companies, PLCs, who are unable to publicly commit to supporting the Act, but are desperate for it to pass, and have spoken to MPs to say, we would like this to be passed, because at the moment, we are forced to make decisions that we don't agree with. And if this Act were to pass, we believe we could run our businesses better. And it would be better for all stakeholders. But at the moment, short term, you know, not even quarterly, it's monthly reporting. What are you going to do about, you know, you can't have this long term planning. As you know, Paul Pullman, one of the things he did when he took over Unilever was to get rid of the quarterly reporting because he said it drives the wrong behavior. What well, if you've got monthly reporting? How does that work? So it, it, it needs to change. Um, and there are over a thousand companies now that have signed up to support it. We're going to have a day in Parliament on the 20th of April when we're going to be talking to all MPs and we would love, absolutely love to get the act in the Queen's speech later in the year Um, and then obviously to get it passed because it would be absolutely monumental. It would be huge news. But when you say all CEOs, all directors should take account of all stakeholders running the business. How can you argue against that? I think you said, well, no, 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 no. It should all be about the money. You shouldn't care about the people that work for you or the impact that your products have on society. It's like, of course you should.
0: um, Have you looked at the – because the business roundtable in the United States, you know, that they came out with their declaration about – and now this isn't a law, but it was a declaration – um, over about 200 of leading companies here that said that we must look at stakeholders now, not just shareholders. So you might want to, I don't know if you've analyzed that or maybe talk to some of the leaders there that might give you a little, a little bit more momentum.
1: Yeah, we, we replied to that. So B-Lab USA replied to that um, saying, let's get to work. And, and I found i have never met a CEO who hasn't claimed that their um, business isn't saving the world. And my challenge to that will always be, okay, we'll take this free test, because I believe that if we if you're not independently verified by somebody else, how can you prove that your business is actually great? So it, it, it's brilliant that people are making these proclamations. They need to follow it up, I would say, with that real action of well, how are you measuring that you are for all stakeholders, because it's all going to be slightly different. And, and then how are you inspiring your suppliers to follow you?
0: And speaking of suppliers, that's a great segue, that you are currently aiming for 50% of your supply chain to be B Corporation compliant in the next few years. So how are you doing that? How are you approaching conversations and your with your supply chain partners?
1: So we're we're forcing them to, no, I'm joking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we are, Asda once said this to me, actually, you, we want to do business with people we like doing business with. And I want to do business with people that see the world the same as us. So we have taken the B Corporation philosophy to all of our partners uh, and look to inspire them. We asked them to fill out a mini assessment a mini impact assessment from B Corp. We can then look at that assessment. We can de-risk ourselves. We can look at where suppliers are doing well, where they're not doing well. We can then give them a free sustainability plan of how they can make their business better and stronger. And we would argue with them, you know, we would say to them, "We think this is, if you're any interested in money, we think this will make your business stronger from a commercial point of view. So it's down to, the team, not me, to persuade our suppliers. Our cleaning company is now a B Corp. Our stationery company is a B Corp. Our Spanish manufacturer took three and a half years to become a B Corp. They've changed their entire business. They've now got solar panels on the roof. They harvest the rainwater. Um, they have a creche to enable young parents or parents to return to work. They've changed the uh, diversity, um, and gender of their board and senior team. They changed their entire company to get the 80 points they needed to. Our creative agency, Habas London, they're part of one of France's largest companies. They're one of part of a network of, of companies. that's probably the one of the biggest, uh, marketing agencies in the world. They certified three years ago. And I went to their unveiling with their team and I said, this is one of the proudest moments not of my working life, of my life, because mm. uh, the unintended consequences from you certifying are going to be huge. And now other parts of the network have certified, and they've got Universal Music who are interested. And, and it's how it, it happens. And the stories from how it's changed people's lives are extraordinary. So I'll give you one. So so Havas there was a, a a lady that worked on the, the team, the B Corp team, Havas in London, and Her husband worked in a local state school, so a government school in King's Cross, which is a relatively deprived part of London. And he was talking to his wife one day and saying, you know, he was quite depressed. He was saying, my kids' grades aren't aren't going up. And she was saying, well, what are the reasons behind it? And And he said, believe it or not, some of them have got nowhere to do their homework. So if they go home, there's no table for them to sit at and do their homework. So she went in the next day and was talking to people at have us and went, well, we've got this big open space downstairs. And then they started talking to other companies, like I think like Google, who are around them in King's Cross. And they got a whole group of companies together and said, look, will you give space for 100 kids once every two weeks after school for them to come in, sit down, do their homework, give them some cookies, give them some orange squash, have maybe one person invigilating so they don't go crazy. <laughs> are you up for that? and they set it up and guess what the grades of kids in the school have gone up since then it's not costing the companies anything because it was it was spare space what is it's this mentality of like how do we improve the lives of people that work around us and guess what everybody in the business wants to go and invigilate and say hi to the kids and help them out (laughs) and work on other projects and they helping them creatively and it's like this is what we're built to do as human beings. And I could give you loads of other stories, you know, some of them that are really, really emotional about how it brings change. But you know, specifically, we're, we're a hundred people that work in barns just outside Henley. We've probably got a million people, Carol, that work in our supply chain. I would say we've got a opportunity, but more than that, a responsibility to try and improve all of their lives. And if we can persuade all of our partners to become B Corps, we would have achieved that. I think that's amazing.
0: I, that is amazing, and, and your your passion and your your vision for this is, is just quite profound. You've got the passion for the B Corp and for th- having an ecosystem that's going to have more and more and more impact, as well as your um, your purpose to help children eat at an early age, have a better relationship with food. So. How do you balance those two? They're both very strong. Um, And any suggestions to our listeners, like when you've got two parts of your purpose, how you can make sure that you don't favor one child over the other?
1: That's a really good question. I'll give you an example where it is really, really difficult. And that is our commitment to becoming a net zero business by 2030. So to become... You know, we, we've looked at our entire supply chain, scope one, to scope two, scope three. We've measured where all our impact is. And because of the products that we produce, so we have protein, so chicken, meat, and fish in some of our SKUs, they are very carbon intensive um, to produce. They have a big impact on the planet. So on the one hand, we would like to reduce those. And maybe get rid of them because that will help us on our quest to become a net zero business, which is better for the environment. On the other hand, we have our mission, which is to do with children's health and nutrition. And at at that early stage, children in their diet need specific things. And as an organic food company, we're not allowed to put any additives into our products and still call them organic. So this is something that we haven't sorted out um, we know we're going to but at the moment we don't have a fix for so that, that's a very sort of live issue where the two kind of clash up against each other
0: I'm just curious about how you make those two work, what physically do you do do you have like two different groups of people and you know one's working on, on the supply chain and helping them to become more sustainable. And then you've got one working on all the health and nutritional parts. I mean, how do you physically create those teams um, within Ella's?
1: So if you look at sustainability, um, I think pretty much every single team um, at Ella's Kitchen will have a goal, a KPI, a personal KPI, which is set against some part of our sustainability strategy, some goal that we want to achieve. With regards to our mission, it, it sits with a couple of teams, I would say. Um, they're, they're never, apart from the, the, the net zero example I gave you before, they normally work with each other, which is fantastic. Um, and I, I, when I really try and boil it down, and this might sound a bit simple, but the challenge to all of us is always to do the right thing,
0: let's um pivot a bit to your you've got a new campaign um that's called eat play love and it is again it's in that wonderful history of veg for victory and we're going to put some we'll link those those videos into our our show notes but talk to me about the new campaign and the, also the, the spot is Riot. You might want to talk about that when you shot it and the kids have just got, they've got food all over their face and they're so cute and they're so little. Well, I'm,
1: I've got to say I'm chuffed a bit. that You liked it because I am super, super excited and this is just the first part of a sort of long campaign that we're going to run. So everything that we do at Ella's Kitchen is from a, a child's perspective. We call it simply being kids first. So I'm sure we all know that the rule that when we used to grow up and probably talk to our own kids is this don't play, don't with,
0: play with your don't, food. Don't no. play with your food. No.
1: But whose benefit is that? I mean, we're not saying, by the way, before anybody starts screaming at their radio all the old days of be radio now with <laughs> your iPhone. Right. Um, you shouldn't know, we're not saying throw your food against the wall. We're absolutely not saying that. Um but but whose benefit was that really for when we say to babies, don't play with your food, or toddlers, don't play with your food. Because we conducted a study with toddlers, and we were able to prove that when you allow babies to play with vegetables in their raw form, so in the afternoon, they're at nursery, if you give them the raw vegetables, and they're able to play and explore with them, they're much more likely to eat those vegetables later in the day for their tea. Now, neophobia, which sounds like a great word, but it's a fear of new food. <laughs> and it is something, it is a great word, isn't it? It's a great word. I'd never heard of it. Neophobia. neophobia. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's very cool.
1: So neophobia is the fear of new foods, and it's something that particularly impacts children. So allowing kids to be kids to explore food with all of their senses is really, really important. Uh, for them growing up with a healthy relationship with
0: food. And, t- and just talk a little bit about the shot, I mean, the, the spot, because it, it's, it's really, really cute. I mean, it's, it's, I'll see if I can give it a little bit of its due. You've got, all of a sudden, you've got the scene, and it's like it's a museum, you know, and don't touch anything in the museum. And then you see these little kids toddling in, trotting in, whatever, um, of all sizes and shapes. And there's this beautiful, looks like a sculpture. And it says, don't play with food. And it's made of vegetables, right? And then all of a sudden, the camera starts looking at the kids. And all of a sudden, the kids are just popping all of these tomatoes and carrots and into their mouths and squishing. I love the squishy part. You always say squish, you know, um, and into their little tummies. I love the language for Ella's. It's great. And so you don't know what's happening. And then all of a sudden, the camera pulls back. And it's and it comes and it says do play with food, um, so you know, t- again it's it's wonderful. We're going to put the, put a link to it. Um, were you there at the shoot? By the way, I, it must have been a lot of fun.
1: No, I couldn't go. Um, some of my team went because of COVID. I mean, it didn't have COVID at the time, but the restrictions were were quite severe and. Me turning up just because I was interested and wanted to see it wasn't an option, <laughs> so I didn't have a purpose to be there apart from being nosy. So, to scene, <laughs> just said, you got to wait for the video. It was taken in a in a uh, a museum. And well, I'm just really glad you liked it because I think it's absolutely great and one of the best kids of
0: it's, uh, the kids are, are great. but when they, when you let them really play, the other thing I want to just talk w- w- with our listeners about is that you do something that's kind of counter cyclical to your business. You've got a lot of guidance to, for parents to like cook your own food. which you'd say, well, why would you do that? Because you're trying to sell it. Can you talk a little bit about, like you've got these really cute videos and guidance and how do you introduce and why you would even do something like that?
1: I guess it goes back to where, where we started the conversation in that not everything for us starts with money. We see ourselves as being service to parents. We are here to help them on what can be quite a stressful An anxious period feeding your baby for the first time comes with, can come with quite a lot of anxiety when, when they don't eat, for example. So yes, we, we have things that you would say are counter to the commercial part of selling baby food. We have cookbooks, which don't really make us any money, but we absolutely love them. We have videos on how to do it yourself. This is all part of our service. We, we don't see ourselves as simply a baby-free business.
0: The thing that just popped into my mind was Patagonia. You know, it's like we we exist to save the planet. Um, And then all of the, when you have a higher order purpose, think of it as a giant, like, you know, umbrella, then you, a giant, that you can so many things creatively underneath it, whether it's product innovation, employee engagement, supply chain engagement and such, that you create, as you said, brand love.
1: Yeah, because it comes from a place of, authenticity there's a truth behind it so we like we, we always talk about it internally being one brand inside and out and if you're not the truth will out i mean your team are going kind to of think that and i went out I, I, you know i think people more and more they just want two simple things from work and they're both based around pride i mean, people want to have pride in the company that they work for and increasingly that means you know to be able to go into the pub or go home to your parents and you genuinely come alive when you say, I work for such and such a company and we do X, Y, Z. And I don't think you can have real pride if that X, Y, Z is just about making money. There has to be something else. And the second thing, which you you talked about uh, right at the beginning about the handprints that I would have liked to leave at Ella's Kitchen. This is the thing that I really hold my, if I had a hat, I would hold my hat on this, is pride in the work that you do. I don't think you can have pride in the work that you do if you don't have autonomy in your role. And it is the thing that my overriding, I suppose, if, if I had a, I don't, but it, if I had some sort of business philosophy that I wanted to leave at Ella's Kitchen, it would be I want every single person actively, independently making decisions themselves every single day. It relies on communication on communicating to your manager what you're doing. Otherwise, you get chaos. It re- relies on clarity of what we're trying to achieve, it relies on lots and lots of things. But then putting through autonomy in the business has enabled us to be the success we are. And I'll just say about five years ago, I made a vow not to make another single decision in the business, not
0: one. Interesting. Interesting. So you're saying singularly you'll make decisions with others. Is that what that meant or no?
1: No. So if you're in charge of marketing at Ella's kitchen, you report into me. You're the boss. You can come to me. We'll have a chat about things. I'll give you my advice. But at the end of the day, it's your call. You're in charge. And that philosophy and that culture eventually starts to seep through. And, it's just the way I shouldn't be making any decisions. And I was inspired by a man who's become a sort of friend. He's called David Marquez. He's written the best business book I've ever ever read. It's called Turn the Ship Around. And he did this in an American nuclear submarine. So if he can do it in a failing American nuclear submarine, I think anybody can do it in a, a baby food business. <laughs>
0: you and you he
1: turned this company. He turned this this nuclear submarine around. You know, he ripped up the, the rule book and. Probably could have gone to jail for doing so. And it's really inspiring about how he instilled autonomy. And he talks about it and says, I don't care how great the captain you are. If you came across my submarine after i have been there for two years, you wouldn't have stood a chance. Because on my submarine, you've got over 200 people actively making decisions, experts in their area. In every other submarine from every other country, You've got one man making every single decision. Is you don't stand a chance. And two and a half years after he took over, um, his uh, the USS Olympia, they got assessed by the Navy, and they got the highest marks ever recorded, not of submarines, not of the North Atlantic Fleet, ever recorded in U.S. naval history. So for me, I took that as a real inspiration of, do you know what, I, we're going to do the same thing. And what you do when you do it properly in a business is you create a whole generation of leaders because everybody's leading in in their individual areas. And it's it's amazing because I think from babies upwards, you know, babies cry because they want the autonomy, but they can't tell you what they want to do. So they cry because they want to get down from the high chair. They want their food. They don't want their food, whatever it may be. And I think from that then onwards, we're sort of hardwired to want autonomy. Nobody really likes being told what to do. We like being asked what we think we should do. We like being told what a problem is and being asked to solve it. We don't like being told, here's the solution, now go and do it. That's not a way to inspire your team. The way to inspire your team is to give them autonomy.
0: And I never knew this about you or Ella. So I think you should be blogging about this or drafting something about this. Write an essay about it um, as you have been influenced by Turn the Ship Around how do you make sure that you don't have people going in, uh, you know, 20 different directions, that they are, there is some holistic vision, whether it's the North Star, the business goal or such?
1: Because The whole thing relies on communication. And when you break the communication down, actually language is super, super important. And keeping these things simple, I think, is also really, really important. So say I, I report into you, Carol and I come to you and I say, I have done X, Y, Z. If I come to you and say, I have done this, that's no good. right? The whole chain of communication is broken down because it hasn't given you the opportunity to say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Or actually, someone else is doing this. Or no, I don't think you should do Whatever it may be. But if I come to you and say, Carol, I intend to do X, Y, Z, you could go, that's very interesting. Tell me more about that. And then I go, well, this is what we're doing. And you could build on that and say, have you considered X, Y, Z? And I'm like, oh no, I haven't. That's a great idea. Tell you what, I'll go and do that and then I'll come back and you're brilliant. Or you could just say, that's a fantastic idea. Crack on. If I've come to you and you said that to me, I leave thinking, I feel 10 feet tall. This is amazing. You know, and that's how it works. But so there's a language around it. Um, and it, it relies on communication because you're right, and it re- also relies on the right structure, you know, the the right strategy. Everyone having clarity; otherwise, you can get everyone running around like headless chickens, and then it falls apart.
0: And and who who's responsible for the structure and the clarity? Is that you?
1: Yeah, uh, me and the senior team. I would say the so the structure of the team, the buck stops with me in terms of getting the right resource, uh, and my HR director, who's called Head of Keeping People Happy.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, right.
1: So it relies on a few things, but building the strategy, we we believe that the whole team should be involved in building the strategy because it's then it's co-created. Um, but there are lots of things that, that kind of are the pillars, I suppose, of autonomy. But when you've got those in place and you've got the right team, you're off at the races.
0: Yeah, that's why you're doing so well. As we're winding down, I would love you, and you've given some amazing insights. But if you had um, a social entrepreneur come to you, they've got an idea. Maybe their company's got five or ten people in it. Maybe it's you know a million dollars in sales or something, and and they want to be purpose at the center. They want to be purposeful. What suggestions would you give them? Like God, these are the three things that you really should think about.
1: I would say take free B impact assessment from B Corp. It's free. You don't have to share it with anybody. Start measuring your company. You can make improvements from it so it it will give you a free sustainability plan. Um, Do it, but do it for the right reasons. Don't go down this path just to sell more stuff or increase your bottom line. That may well be a consequence, probably will be a consequence of doing it. But it's not inspiring. Engage your team through the whole process. And I would say the thing that has been most inspiring and, and, and the most changed through me has been realizing that my impact or your impact is wider than just your company. I feel a CEO's responsibility now extends beyond the company that they are running.
0: That's, that's a great, great point. So this has been, a wonderful conversation. I've learned so much about you as a leader um, and as your love for the B Corp movement too. That comes through very, very clear. But the fact that you're also balancing your love for Ella's and your mission, which is to truly create a healthy relationship uh, with food for um, babies and toddlers. And so what, is there anything else, Mark, that, that you'd just like to say um, as we close this?
1: Oh, it'd be great to have your company as part of the B Corp movement, Carol.
0: Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to take a, take a look at it. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, but apart from that, no, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for, for letting me talk about my passions.
0: Yeah, You know, and, you, and I, what I love, because I often see you got a founder, and the founder is passionate. And they have, you know, there's that vision, there's that mountain that they're gonna climb. And then you get, then they sell, and then you get someone, a new CEO, and they're a numbers guy or gal. They don't have that passion. And what's extraordinary with you is that you have a passion as strong as Paul's, but it's different. It's it's still committed to Ella's and and your and your purpose. But you're also saying, I want this ecosystem. To your point, that a CEO has an opportunity, a responsibility, not just with their company and their supply chain, but even bigger. So, I want to give you um, a good shout out. Um, we'll, we'll promote the heck out of this. And when I, one of the great things about doing my podcast is that I, I get to meet, make new friends. And then I give speeches all over the world so I can get to, you know, put you in the speech and say, Hey, I just talked to Mark. We had this amazing conversation. And by the way, the B Corp movement is truly, I love the fact that Natura, um is a B Corp. And I actually, I got to visit Natura when I was um in Brazil many years ago. And they have, by the way, they've got amethysts and they've got all these incredible stones in the corners of their manufacturing plant for people to be like, you know, be chill. Um, But they're a great B Corp. And they bought Avon. So they may become, I, I know that the folks from Danone wanted to say, we don't want to be the largest B Corp. We want to, with somebody to be even bigger. So you know, your, your passion for it's going to be, be helpful. And so thank you so much for the conversation. I just want to say to our listeners, um, you know that I'm passionate about uh, purpose and the power of purpose. And so I hope that you really enjoyed this conversation. Please go to where you rate podcasts so that we can, whether it's iTunes or other places, so we can get higher in the business. A list of the best podcasts because we want all business, as Mark said, to truly embrace a greater purpose. And the other thing is I want to just say to my listeners that we have our second edition ebook out, which is my top 25 um, podcasts of the previous about 18 months. This one will be in the third edition, Mark. So and so it's a bite sizable reviews of conversations, but they all have the links to the full conversation. So in today's crazy world where everybody's busy, they've got the shorthand and they've got the longhand. So that's um, Purpose360 um, ebook. You can go to our website. Um, it's uh, purposecollaborative.com or Carol Cohn on Purpose. We've got two, two uh, URLs you can use. And um, please, please, please uh, be intentional listeners to what you're doing with your companies no matter where you sit And please, I always, I'm asking you to think of the answer to this question, what is the power of your purpose? So thank you, Mark. This has been a great conversation. Thank you to my, to my avid listeners. Uh, Please share this with others. And truly, truly, you'll have from all the learnings, you'll have a more um, acceptable, not acceptable, but you'll be much more facile and successful in the answer to What is the power of your purpose? So thank you very much and have a great day.